passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. Another week here at Post Wrestling. John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting as we go through the world of professional wrestling, Raw in Winnipeg, and much more. How are you, Wei? Doing all right, John. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show. We are going to be going through tonight's edition of Raw from Winnipeg, the big rematch between Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch, Mm -hmm. one that Canada will be uh, talking about for minutes, and... Then we will also be recapping the latest AEW drama as well. Are you looking forward to this way? Um, not so much, but um, I know a lot of people will be. So, yeah. Well, we will uh, we will try and keep it brief for everyone because uh, it's just going to be an every couple of month exercise that we all go through, and we will represent each side, and then we will uh, talk about uh, what is going to happen, what is not going to happen, and then we will wash, rinse, and repeat. But we will also be discussing the G1 Climax, which concluded on Sunday. Now, before we go any further way, have you gone spoiler free? Do you know who won the G1 before we start? Because I'll just stop the show if you have not (laughs) watched the final yet. I have watched it. Okay, that's good. Well, everyone, Tetsuya Naito did it. He won his third G1 Climax. But I know most people listening to this, big deal. He's won how many G1s at this point? The question is, who won the G1 Climax contest at Post Wrestling? That's what I really want to know. Who came out on top of the prestigious E-Block? And here to join us, our favorite man, Chris Engler, who is here, the statistician here at Post Wrestling. And uh, where, are you, where are you joining us from tonight, Chris? I'm joining from the G1 Contest Data Center. Where else? Oh, look at that. <laughs> under, under lock and key, look at all the servers here that have been working overtime this past summer to calculate all the potential outcomes of the 32-man field. And uh, Chris is here, uh, our own Price Waterhouse himself, to uh, unseal the records and let us know who the winner is. I haven't even looked at the results, so I am hearing this for the first time. Okay, who, great. Who has come out on top? You let us know the, the results, Chris. Sure. Well, do you want to start with that or some fun stats first to kind of build? Let's up? do some fun stats. Let's Let's build it up. Okay, so... Uh, we had good participation this year. Uh, the average points achieved uh, across uh, 112 block matches for a theoretical maximum of 112 was uh, the the average was about 64, just under 64 points. And um, healthy number. Yeah, yeah, pretty good overall. Uh, 
let's do some uh, some upsets. I always like looking at the biggest upsets and the most uh, accurately predicted matches. So I'll ask each of you, who do you figure was the, the biggest upset across all of the G1 block matches? It has to be Shane Hayes pinning Hiroshi Tanahashi. That would be my pick off the top of my head. It's got to be the draw, isn't it? Um, oh, sorry, he's... non-draws. I said non-draws. non-draws. I said okay. Non-draws, yeah. um, that or maybe a Hikuleo match. Didn't Tonga Loa beat uh, Will Osprey? Would that be? Or that was a draw, out? wasn't it? Didn't he hold him outside? For That's like... right. That's right. Yeah. He uh, he he got him counted out. That was a, a not very highly predicted match, but. John, did you perhaps mean Shane Haste over Naito? I think you said Tom. That's that. I'm I'm mixing them up here. In my you head. are correct. That yes. was the uh, that was the uh, least accurately or the biggest upset. Uh, only 13 of 202 people. And so, okay. by contrast, what would you say was the biggest, uh, the most accurately predicted match? This one's a little harder because there were a lot of. Uh, this was close. This one. Boy, um, can I go with uh? Who would have been the uh, the least likely in the in the B block to beat Okada? I'll, I'll go I'll go with Okada on one side of the, of the bracket. Am, am I close? There was so I'll say that the most accurately predicted had 195 people predicted correctly. There was an Okada, Okada match that only had 100 that had 192 people pick it correct. Oh, but not uh, the uh... Okada over Hikuleo was uh, 192, but the. The uh, most accurately was actually Sonata over Gabe Kidd by a few, 195 huh. of 202 people. Wow. Okay. Well, that's so, uh, that, that. That is one I would not have guessed off the top of my head to be the the most uh, one sided choice among our our listeners. Well, there we have it. Look at this. Oh no, Tongaloa did beat Will. He jumped in at the last. That's second. right. He 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 attacked him on the floor. Sorry, Wayne. You were right there. We have it. Okay. Well, there you go. Biggest upsets. Shane Haste over Tetsuya Naito, Tangelo over Will Ospreay, and then Taichi over Will Ospreay, which, uh, yeah, it was on the first day. I didn't, uh, I didn't say the Taichi one is a crazy uh, pick, but there you have it. A lot of people figured Will would just get the big win on the first day. So let's get down to what people came here for, uh, the actual contest itself. So, I mean, there was a name that kept, that was at the top of the contests since day three and all by himself since day four. And as no surprise, Jeremy Finestone uh, finished in first place. Uh, the interesting story, so he had a total of 80 points. He was the only person that broke 80 points. And he won by four points, so a very commanding uh, commanding win. Congratulations to Jeremy Finestone. Uh, congrats uh, was, uh, congrats was, to Jeremy. What was interesting was the, uh, so Eric, Eric from Cork came in second with 76 points. Uh, we had a three-way tie for third place. And uh, two of the individuals there, Anthony C. and Scott S., they had the ex- – so we went to tiebreakers. Our first level of tiebreakers is at the start we also asked people to predict all the block winners and the overall winner just as a uh, as tiebreakers. And they had the exact same picks for uh, their block winners and, uh, and uh, overall winner, which they, they got them all correct except for the B block. They both thought Osprey would win the B block which i mean not a crazy pick by any means so they uh they were tied there so from there we had to go to the next level of tiebreakers which was you know we go by the the most perfectly predicted days then count down and they had the exact same number of correct days with eight predictions seven predictions six predictions and five predictions so we had to go to the 
the most correct days with four correct predictions. And uh, Anthony S. had one more such day over uh, over Scott. So congratulations. Wow. By the slimmest of, I think that's the closest it's ever been. My goodness. Uh, so so we, we had to go into like triple overtime here. So Anthony much, C. Yeah. secures the bronze medal of the uh, the post-wrestling G1 contest. Uh, a well-earned uh, third-place finish for Anthony. And I think we'll f- appropriately finish off with the uh, the post wrestling family block. Yes, let us uh, let us know where this, where did Way end up? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> Way ended up. Uh, you know, W. H. Park said earlier on in his coverage that you know if you're not going to be first, you should go after last. So I think uh, Way, you uh, you locked that one down. You unfortunately oh, yeah. finished finished last. Uh, oh, and not to. Not to stomp on you when you're down, but you were the only person in the E block that did not finish better than Randobot. Oh. <laughs> okay. WH Park and Randobot finished with uh, the same number of points, but uh, WH, I did check, WH did beat Randobot on tiebreakers. So. Look at us, all the dwellers here at the bottom here. I, I didn't do much better. So this was a, this was a humbling experience. And, you know, in, in a story that Gato could have booked, I mean, if we scroll back up to the top, so a name we heard often was John Kleinchester. He was frequently at the top of the uh, top of the block, but he actually went down to second, uh, and he was tied with low down Davy P. But uh, Davy also did very well on his tiebreaker predictions. He predicted three out of the four block winners correctly, and the overall G winner. The only one he didn't predict correctly he was he had uh, again not a crazy pick. He had Kaito Kiyomiya winning the uh, winning the A block. And John K, unfortunately, he the only thing he got correct in the tiebreakers was the winner of the A block in Sonata. So low down to AVP. Again, you could call it low down tactics, but uh, ekes out second place uh, with on tiebreakers. But the overall winner was uh, was Brandon Thurston. Wow. He, if you look at him tracking throughout, like he literally started uh, on on early in the contest, like in last place. Oh, he was but, he was mentally done. Like but a week into this, but very just methodically in those eight block or eight match cards was consistently getting like four or five points, just, you know, very quietly going up the ladder one or two steps at a time. And then, uh, then made his move late in the, uh, late in the game and, uh, and sniped first place. So big congratulations to, uh, to Brandon Thurston. Oh, and there was one thing I, I didn't want to come on without mentioning that, you know, we may have to look into Jeremy Finestone because the uncanniness of his predictions were 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 just that uncanny. So you'll recall that there was uh, a draw on the very last day of the uh, of the D block, and Jeremy was the only person at the start of the contest to pick that match the Shane Haste Jeff Cobb match. He was the only person to pick that as the, as the draw. I looked back. That is the only time in the history of the G1 contest that a single person has scored a point that nobody else got. So for him to have predicted that prior to the start of the G1, that's that's really impressive. Borderline suspicious, but what are, really, what are you implying here, uh, Chris? What could there be I'm not implying. I just observe and report. Well, clearly okay. Jeremy Finestone is code name for Gato. Yeah. Maybe it's Giotto, actually. (laughs) 
but yeah. is there congratulations can we at least give give do you have like the person that scored the least amount of points in the whole I do, thing yes who, so, who uh, came in dead last who was the joe rules of this it looks uh, like it was uh, a gentleman by the name of mike weiss mike <laughs> weiss uh, and look sorry, at me I, i'm like i'm like only a few points ahead of him you, you beat like, him by 10 way you're not that uh oh god i was still like fourth last of this entire thing wow but what was very interesting is this year more so than any other year, like Randobot didn't have a great year, but still guessed just under 50% of the, of the uh, block matches correctly, which in a completely random selection, you would expect to happen, but more so than any other year by a lot, which is, uh, which is impressive considering um, all these eight match cards, uh, 95% of contestants did as good or better than Randobot this year mm. compared to prior years so overall mm. people's accuracy uh was was up this year significantly but does this was... tell you about the uh the fear of ai when uh randobot is getting beaten out by 95 yeah, percent of people humans? uh people really put uh, put some thought into these predictions it wasn't just oh, let me just click and get it in and hope for the best right? i think next year we have to like soup up randobot and have like a real like like a chat gbt that can go through every like have it like really functional to get into Gato's who mind. Would actually, win. <laughs> we might get Jeremy Feinstone himself, uh, just just processed out of this all. Maybe maybe that's what Jeremy Feinstone is. That could be it. Jeremy is in the chat. He says this contest was a blast. I was very <laughs> humbled to do so well, and I'd like to thank everyone at Post Wrestling for the comprehensive coverage of the G1 Climax 33. Covering the shows are not easy. Sounds like something that could be written by Jado or Gato. Not at this hour, I, I don't think. I mean, it's early. It's early Tuesday morning. I don't. I don't think he would be. We we have to give uh, credit where it's due. Um, but there, congratulations to Jeremy, our big winner. Congratulations to Brandon Thurston, the the come from behind victory. I don't know if there was any uh, Python shenanigans uh, that went into his picks, but it was a a brilliant comeback by one Brandon Thurston. So, and uh, of course, Chris, always uh, appreciate your great attention to detail, keeping everybody updated on a near daily basis uh, throughout the G one. And now, um, you know, you, you get to now go into hibernation until the Royal Rumble. Uh, <laughs> you, right. you pop out, you know, you, you do double the dates of Santa Claus every year for us. So we, <laughs> we greatly appreciate that. And I do look forward to uh, the Royal Rumble pool as I was uh, anticipating spelling mistakes when I realized I had my pools mixed up. So I'll have to wait till January. For that. <laughs> yeah, that's always the most fun part of the Rumble is the interesting ways people communicate the names of wrestlers. All right. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us tonight, Chris, giving us uh, the, the update. And again, thank you for uh, for all the hard work you put in uh, for, for these pools and help them run smoothly. You're welcome. And I think live now is the like these full results with some extra stats are uh, are going to be on postwrestling.com. One final update. So everything is up there right now at postwrestling.com slash G1. Thank you so much, um, Chris, for getting up in the morning, every single one of these G1s and tabulating those results and having that ready for everybody. Um, you make these so much more fun for everybody who not just covers these, but, you know, listens to these podcasts and a part of a part of the site. So thank you so much, Chris. You're welcome. It's, it's a lot of fun for me too. I enjoy doing it. All right. You can power down the servers and we'll talk to you soon, Chris. Okay. Bye guys. Thank you, Chris. Right. Chris Angler, everybody. Follow him us. at CAngler42 on Twitter if you have any questions about you know further stats or maybe how you did. Uh, and also, let's give a plug here for our winner, Jeremy Funstone, who actually hosts a podcast himself. It is called the Speaking of Strong Style Podcast, and I believe he's talked a whole lot about his selection process for the G1. So if you want to get his takes, uh, he is part of the Fight Game Media Network. 
So look for Fight Game Media Network on uh, on wherever you download your podcast and listen to Speaking of Strong Style. Wait, any thoughts on the final uh, with Tetsuya Naito and Kazuchika Okada? Uh, we have our, our final podcast up uh, from Sunday with Karen Peterson and WH Park joining me. We went through it. Uh, we pretty much raved about the match. But what did you think about the, the final weekend for Naito and getting his third G1 win? Oh, man, I thought um, this in terms of like a resurgence for Naito, this was really a, an incredible weekend for him. You know, these one, two, like G1, one, two performances over a weekend are are typically pretty impressive uh but there's a very high standard for them and i thought naito met them what was especially concerning was just seeing at the end of the finish of that osprey match mm-hmm. which is going to certainly be a contender for match of the year for me um it was concerning because he got knocked out or at least knocked loopy in at the end of that match um how he was going to look on the sunday and i mean pulled out another magnificent performance you know i prefer the osprey match personally but the okada match was absolutely absolutely fantastic how was Oscar's second G1 final? <laughs> was he alive last time? He, he was, uh, I think, five days old. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, he, I, I think he had a pretty, pretty good day, but I think that was regardless of the G1 final. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't like rooting for Okada. He was open-minded going into this this final. Or was you know, he, he, I bet he was banking on evil, wasn't he? I think he was more of a Kiyomiya guy. He was hoping he'd pull through. Oh, but, I know. see. A lot of people got hung up on, on Kiyomiya. Well, yeah. um, well, wait, now your your training can begin for next year's pool. You can you can start now. Really try and study ghetto and try and figure things out. If you uh Kiyomiya, I think was that I bet you Kiyomiya screwed up a lot of people's um ballots or uh uh entries. Possibly. I mean, honestly, this year I just picked randomly, and clearly picking randomly is not good enough for the g1 pool anymore no randall bot i mean the times are changing so you can't mm-hmm. just uh, be be picking blindly all right uh and thanks to everybody that uh checked out all of our g1 coverage all of those podcasts uh live up on the post wrestling cafe that you can go back and and listen to as well as our match recommendations myself wh and karen we went through performer of the g1 our top matches of the tournament as well as some picks of who we would like to see included in next year's tournament and we will see uh what what changeover there is next year but coming out of this show uh you have tetsuya naito that has uh, won the g1 and in theory sets him up for a match with sonata on january 4th now in between then sonata is expected to defend the title against evil and they're doing this deal with naito where he they're not using a contract this year so his thing is well if they match me with jeff cobb and no contracts on the line, what is preventing me from just losing in five seconds? Why would I go all out for a match that I don't need to win? So he has no incentive uh, since he's got this Tokyo Dome locked up, and he values headlining the Tokyo Dome above going for the world, uh, the IWGP World Heavyweight title. So that could be fun if he just lays down for Jeff Cobb and uh, in five seconds and then rolls out of the ring, and then Jeff Cobb gets on the mic and says, is this your deal, Ghetto? This is why this damn company is in the shape it is, it's in because of bullshit like this. Yes, interesting um, that that he'd poke holes at. Like, has New Japan explained why they're not doing the contract this year? They didn't do it um, last year, I don't think. So there's no, there's no briefcase. There's no, no briefcase. It seems like he is. Uh, he's in. He's in for the 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 dome. So he could just cruise for the rest of the year. Yeah, I guess. I, I wonder why they would get rid of it. 
Yeah. Or they could, they could always, uh, you know, maybe they, they institute it at the last minute. They force them to have to, uh, put, put this up, whatever they do. Um, he is also the first name that's been announced for Royal Quest 3 as they will be going to the Copper Box Arena, which RevPro is running uh, next week in London. That's going to be on October the 14th. So this is going to be just days apart from the Sumo Hall show. They're doing Sumo Hall October 9th. So in theory, that would be Sonata and Evil. And then the 14th, um, I'm thinking that that would be the place for Osprey to defend this UK championship. And you've set up Yoda Suji as that challenger. So that could very well, that could potentially headline the, the card at the Copper Box Arena. But they have set up a ton of matches coming out of the, the weekend at Sumo Hall. You've got uh, Oleg Bolton, who gets a future television title shot. You have uh, Coglin and Kid teasing a match with Goto and Yoshihashi, the battle of the IWGP and Strong openweight tag champions. Uh, Eddie Kingston and Aaron Hanare is expected to take place in Vegas at the end of October. Uh, you have David Finley and Tamatonga for the Never title and the big one show pinning KOPW champion Taichi, which um, that could bump Naito and Sonata to, you know, the mid card of the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, the match could be great. What do you see as the, what do you see for Okada the, the rest of this year? or leading into the Tokyo Dome? Like, what is the most appealing uh, route for him now that he is removed from the title picture? Yeah, well, I mean, I think at this point, there are a lot of big-name opponents still left for him. Of course, he has the QMEA program that's going on, um, but he also has Brian Danielson in a rematch there. You know, um, I almost feel like that's a bit more likely for the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom, um, just as a match to cater to sort of like the North North American base. Um, so I probably lean towards that being the direction of course as long as danielson is healthy for for the tokyo dome you're saying yeah yeah we have we were discussing this it's like where you get to this eventual kiyomiya rematch and maybe if for the third year in a row they're doing the new japan noah wrestle kingdom in january maybe that's sort of the level of show you're expecting okada and kiyomiya which i don't know it's it is somewhat puzzling kiyomiya's role in this g1 i don't think this mm -hmm. involvement like rose him up the stakes. Like, I don't think if you're just a strict new Japan follower, I don't think you're coming away from this tournament. Wowed by Kiyomiya. And like, there was no involvement with Okada. It's, I don't know. Like, I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that if you're strictly looking at the booking, but I think if you watch the matches, he's been a consistent highlight throughout the G1, at least for me. You know, like I, I always felt like his matches and his performances stood out. So in that sense, I think he made a good good impression for the for his company and himself. Mm. But you're right. Like at least in terms of booking, I figured he'd at least go past you know the the blocks. Yeah, um, you know there is like I don't even mind holding off on the match with Okada, but it just felt like by the end of it, like here was a guy that was just like middle rung a block guy, and he did have some very good performances. I I just don't know how this really served the purpose of building to something bigger um, for him um, mm -hmm. that you're coming out as like one of the predominant themes of the G1. Um, but anyway, uh, lots of thoughts on our show from Sunday. So you can go check that out. We're going to move along to Saturday night's main event, which is when, when the cameras go dark, the main event lights turn on as CM Punk finished up his match with FTR against the House of Black. And you know what? He decided right after the House of Black, let's get on the, the house mic. And with that, CM Punk proceeded to cut a promo on Hangman Page, um, calling him a peg warmer because his toys don't sell. 
at the at the local Toys R Us. I guess CM Punk was undercover. He was like looking up like who who sells merch at the local toy store. Well, they don't they don't have Toys R Uses um, in the U.S. And unfortunately anymore, but wherever they were selling toys. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I will I will put that down on my notes. Um, so he cuts his promo on Hangman Page and uh, is getting booed. Like you can hear the the crowd like not wanting to hear this guy like rail on Hangman Page. And then I guess afterward he tried to more uh, uh, endear himself to this audience. But that was kind of the big talk of Collision afterward. It wasn't anything that happened on the show. It was all contained to why we are bringing all this stuff back up to the surface. And, um, you know, I was I was hearing about it that night. And then the next day, um, a lot more came to the surface about the issues that have been going on uh, regarding collision, regarding those that have been on the show, those that have been booked for the show and then told at the last minute they're no longer needed. First of all, let's kind of just break this up and then we'll get into some of the 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 latter. But going to the, the promo itself and like this is. Part of the issue that all of this was built upon was guys going out there and in the case of Punk, like actively calling out Hangman Page in that promo last year. Like this is all stuff that just fostered all of these problems. And here we are going right back to that thing. Now, this was not on live television, but nonetheless, like this is as good as live TV. This was going to be online in seconds. And it was. And this um, just blew up the next day. And to to no one's surprise, it, it did. And just mm-hmm. the idea that that here we are and, you know, it, anyone thinking this was just going to be um, drama free um, would have been kidding themselves. This was always going to be like these contentious issues. But now, again, it has come onto your screen, onto your onto your computer. And it's it's again, it's hitting you right in the face of these issues that have nothing to do with business that are not. This is not leading to a match at all in. This is not leading to a match at all out, but it is going to be the focus for another at least 24 hours. Sure. Yeah. Um, It's got no effect on any immediate business, but do we have any sort of like, you know, idea what CM Punk thinks it may lead to, you know, at this point, like, is he simply saying these things because he's genuinely pissed off or does he feel like he's trying to do some somebody somewhere a business like you know promotional favor i who knows what what goes on like in that man's mind he has really kind of you know shown himself to be one of the more erratic unpredictable figures in you know all of professional wrestling and the fact that he not not only do we have this you know story of this live dark promo to kind of discuss but all these other stories following that really seem to continue to make this story just completely more bizarre and very that much more interesting um i think it calls a lot of attention to all the issues that existed leading up to all all out last year and i think something like this if all these reports are to be true believed to be true or at least even partially true it tells you a lot about how much might have been addressed in the meantime and how much might have been fixed in the meantime. And that answer would probably be not much. Okay. So I've taken portions of uh, the reporting that has been out there um, and some stuff that had been conveyed to me as well. So um, this is from Wade Keller at uh, pro wrestling torch. So coming out of Saturday, uh, one of the other, like quickly after this promo, 
uh, there began, you know, a discussion about Ryan Nemeth, who was apparently booked for collision and then told at the last minute he was no longer needed for the show. And then from there, uh, it, it came up about an issue that Punk and Nemeth had back on the June 21st Dynamite. This was the lone Dynamite that Punk has been on since coming back, which was in Chicago the week going into Forbidden Door. And going prior to that was a tweet that Ryan Nemeth made um, upon Punk's return and just tweeting out uh, something to the effect of literally the softest person out there or wh- whatever it was, the exact wording of which. Not specifically naming Punk, but I think everyone realizing exactly who he was referring to. So from from Wade Keller stated that uh, so th- this is uh, for the first part. Let's uh, let's cover the the Ryan Nemeth part. So at the Dynamite, this would have been on June 21st. Uh, Pro Wrestling Torch sources indicated that Punk confronted Nemeth in the locker room. The story conveyed to the Torch is that Punk cornered Nemeth in the locker room, got inches from his face, and angrily and aggressively asked if they had a problem or if they needed to settle things outside. Punk cited to Nemeth that his comments on Twitter inflamed existing tensions and that the optics of the tweet sent a bad message. This incident was witnessed by numerous wrestlers and was characterized as awkward and weird. Nemeth moved the argument to the hallway where Punk continued to berate him, according to our sources. Nemeth defended his judgment in calling Punk soft since Punk fired the first shots at the Bucks. Punk pushed back that his timing was bad and worked against the public image that they were going for, that everyone was either on the same page or at least not inflaming prior issues. Nemeth then asked Punk if he shouldn't react to things Punk says on TV, and Punk said that'd be the right choice at that time. Then they shook hands, but apparently the tension was still high as they went their separate ways. Nemeth confided the incident in friends backstage and asked how to handle the situation. Nemeth has almost no leverage in AEW compared to Punk, who's a much bigger star. Then uh, uh, backtracking to uh, this past weekend, Nemeth arrived at Collision in Greensboro Saturday night for his first scheduled match in a while, but was told he wasn't needed anymore and was given, uh, given an itinerary to return home, according to a Fightful report. And... So that's that's the Ryan Nemeth situation of things. So let's uh, go through this story. So Nemeth tweets this out, and Punk is clearly aware of this and confronts him on the June 21st Dynamite. Now, if you are to take this report as Punk, do we have an issue or do we have to settle this outside? The idea of Punk coming back and almost having a fight um, – on what would have been his second night back after the United Center return, um, mm. that would have just been a nuclear um, incident had he ended up getting into a fight uh, over a tweet on his second night back. Now, was it as heated as as that? I mean, that is uh, for you to determine, but that's what's being re- reported here. And this is so it this would be the first kind of story that people were focusing on in addition to like the hangman page situation, which is a little more unclear in terms of the the fact is that he was apparently booked for collision on Saturday. And then was once he arrived in the city was told that that was no longer, he, he was not to be at the building and people are concluding that this is punk related. And the fact that he several hours later cuts this promo on hangman page. Well, if punk side is stating they had nothing to do with this kind of, kind of paints you into a, a corner when there's other people, it's, it seems like it's a, he said, she said of who was involved directly in, in this hangman thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
again, a lot of this are is from reporting that I certainly trust, and I think. Um, but at the same time, it, like I understand, it's 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 all one side of the story. Like at least in in all, most of these instances, whoever's kind of talking to to the reporters, like I feel like that's that we're not necessarily hearing from Punk himself. Um, we're, we might be hearing from people representing his side, but I just leave it to, you know, open to like, you know, is there some broken telephone involved? But we do know at, at least I do believe like, you know, this this Nemeth and, and, and punk um, interaction occurred. Um, and even if that's true, I I find it pretty crazy how in trying to create a calm, peaceful working environment the man sounded like he was doing the complete opposite by, you know, raising tensions just, you know, over a tweet that was sent out so much, like so much, I don't know, many, several months ago. Um, and just, I, I guess like in his mind, it feels like it's some sort of like keeping the peace, but what it does come across as just even hearing that story again through several filters, it sounds like bullying. And, um, I'm sure there are ways that you could, you know, create some sort of like relief of like into to sort differences. If CM Punk and Ryan Nemeth had to work together in the same locker room, I don't think that sounded like the way to do things. And beyond that, um, how are these guys getting booked? If you know, how, how, like, is this the only instance of Ryan Nemeth getting told to Ryan, Ryan Nemeth. So Ryan Nemeth was a regular on dark and dark elevation. He has not done any AEW related dates since May when he did uh, a, an ROH match, um, which was not, okay. which was done at universal studios. So, I mean, it's been months since he has been booked by AEW. Um, so who is booking him and who's booking hangman page when like, you so, know, so this clearly... is, this is a major issue. And it's, like ultimately whatever your conclusion of this is and and you can have you know you can point fingers all you want none of these moves are happening without the approval of Tony Khan like the buck stops with Tony Khan and you would these, hope you would think yes well these are ultimately like this is his company and if mm-hmm. somebody is you know uh, stating i don't want this person here that ultimately has to be approved. To me, it takes a different level of um, – it's it's just a different level of complexity when we're getting to the point. It's one thing that you're sitting at home, and you may not know why. It's quite another when you are literally being told to be at TV, and you are traveling to that destination, and when arriving, told, sorry, we don't need you. And you are, you can't even come to the building. You can't even enjoy the catering. Like you are not even getting on television like Ronda Rousey to deliver three words (laughs) first before you have to go back and and travel home. So like the frustration level, if you are on the receiving end, I would imagine is at a 10. If Mm. you've missed a whole travel day, um, you've got, you're, you're leaving your, like you are just showing up to work and are being told not to work. Um, That's, a frustrating issue of this. Now I'm going to add, this was the final paragraph on the, on the torch story um, that when punk first return, um, 
Sorry. So Punk otherwise has received good reviews for his leadership behind the scenes. He is fiercely protective of Collision being a low drama environment, which is why he doesn't want wrestlers he perceives as disloyal or too closely aligned with the elite crew to be backstage at Collision. He sees Collision as his show and his chance to provide the type of leadership that he is critical of the executive vice presidents not providing on Dynamite. But that has extended to Punk having essentially veto power over who can be present backstage at collision events he wants the show to be so drama free that he's willing to get on the low drama and and directly call out hangman page to an entire audience yes listen there i don't doubt that if like there is no way to just have one answer for this i am sure you could survey people in AEW, and there are going to be differing views on cm punk i am sure there are many that do see him as a leader that may side with the fact that why is this guy tweeting something um, about our top star? Um, it's just causing problems. The point being that when this guy is allegedly setting out this edict of we do not want, we want a low drama environment, and then you break your own edict on a microphone for what? For what? For a cheap pop? For all that comes with this? Like, how can you? lead by example when you're going out on television and not even for the first time like this guy has now gone on television and literally called out hangman page to fight and made him look like a coward he went at the press conference and dude the guy that arguably took the worst of that maybe was colt cabana but number two was hangman page who was just and again not in the building and has no recourse. And now this is a third time that he gets attacked verbally and has no recourse uh, either. Yeah. It's it's really funny when you put it that way. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's comical. This guy has would just resigned with your company, and like Hangman Page to me has like um, listen. There's, oh, he there's hasn't said to... a thing. He's At least just not publicly, not publicly. Um, he is not now. Um, so further to this, beyond Nick Nemeth and Hangman Page, uh, we go to others that apparently have been told, like similar, getting to collision and being told they are not needed. So uh, Nick Houseman from House of Wrestling wrote that House of Wrestling has confirmed that at least two of these men not being backstage at collision stem from issues with CM Punk. Notably, Christopher Daniels' involvement in the post-AEW all-out altercation was specifically portrayed to us as the reason that Daniels is not at collision. Since Ace Steel, Punk's good friend, was also involved in the altercation but not allowed to return backstage for collision, Punk is said to feel the same about Daniels and does not want him backstage either. We have not heard anything in regard to Punk asking to have Page or Hardy not be present at the Greensboro Coliseum for the taping. However, we were told that Punk's post-collision promo comments about Page did not come across how he would have liked them and that he felt bad about them afterward. At this time, the Elite and Punk have not met to bury the hatchet, but it sounds like Punk is keeping the door open to that possibility. So... How that did very he much mean? sounds how like this is mean, coming from the How did you mean the promo to come across? This is what I really want to know. He meant to say he's he moves merch at the speed of light. This guy is a valuable player for years to come, and it's a bargain that we got this guy for multi-years with this upcoming deal. I have no idea how he intended this uh, to come across, but it was – I if he comes out and uh, issue – like, I, I have no idea. That one was if that's true. I mean, the man is just like he he's just a moron, you know, like he he's a guy who clearly has issues thinking before of what before he speaks in, in, into a public microphone. Um, Like how what did he intend at all? 
and, and like if this again if this a, chris daniels a steel thing is true that's that's the pettiest shit i've ever heard because you're gonna ban my guy i'm gonna ban your guy who let, let's be clear christopher daniels is your head of talent relations like that is an ultimate and, and that to me is christopher daniels is maybe the the one that is I, i'm seeing getting like the least focus but that to me tells me like the power game that that ability is there to withhold your head of talent relations and listen you can you can lay blame across many parties i don't want this to come across as like this is all on one person the all-out brawl but christopher daniels from all accounts was in there to break things up in his role and this man was not accused of biting anyone this guy was not accused of being an aggressor in any sense so i don't look at all of these examples uh, i don't look at him and a steel as like equals on opposing parties at all if anything like daniels was in his role as head of talent relations as a fight is breaking out and the fact again that this comes back to that if daniels your head of talent relations cannot enter his building that he works at um, again, like that comes down to like, if punk is pushing this and he is not being told from above that, no, you cannot do that. Then it's like, that means he's he, allowed to do it. That, that means, means he clearly has like, jurisdiction. If you're turning a blind eye to this, or this is not being, you're not putting your foot down. You're ultimately telling him that you are within your parameters mm-hmm. to do this. And he, in his mind, I don't believe this is some guy that is trying to concoct some evil scheme. I think he has a real honest belief of what he wants this locker room to be made up on. And I think he has a very clear picture of who he wants and who he does not want. And it's for the good of this company. But at the same time, it is like he he is being given, uh, I think, a lot of leeway. And it seems that the Daniels and Nick Nemeth, or sorry, Ryan Nemeth, those are the ones that are not being disputed. And from the latest observer update today is that the not camp being disputed of, that they are CM Punk calls. This, this is from um, Dave Meltzer's update today. The CM Punk camp has claimed that they did not get Adam Page or Matt Hardy, who was another name thrown out here, booted from recent collision shows. But a number of reports said he did so with Christopher Daniels, who is head of talent relations. Others have claimed he did with Page and Hardy, and much of the locker room believes that. One person claimed he didn't even know Paige was in Greensboro. There have been people who said he was responsible for Ryan Nemeth being out, and that was a major cause of concern on Saturday night in the company, both from those in Greensboro and those not. But others have claimed that was a management call and not a punk call. So, I I mean, there's a lot of just competing narratives here. There's a lot of bullshit here, you know? And it's all... Sorry, please go ahead. Yeah, I'm just stating that in, in the court of public opinion... I don't think that this is going to change people's perception. Um, If you are viewing this through the lens of punk in the right, then I think this is only going to embolden your belief of that. And I think if you are looking at this from the opposite side, I think that this only further is going to drive people to believe that CM Punk has this unchecked power that is very click-like, um, that he has the ability and he's being it's, allowed it's more than to that, exercise John. like has the, has the click ever been able to like you know demand people like get kicked out of buildings um I, know, I i, I don't know people if they're home that were already on the rundown have um, they been able to do that i i can tell you i never heard has a story of show. like the click saying like jj dylan had to like leave the building 
the head of talent relations. Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, this is also like, I, I feel like with these stories and the man is adamantly denied them and Tony Khan has backed him up. But do people view the Colt Cabana story differently when you're hearing this? Like here is somebody that professed that he would do nothing to affect where Colt Cabana works and where mm -hmm. he goes. And you're seeing like elements of that now apply to other people who like in a Ryan Nemeth had a much like less relationship with CM Punk and not having lawsuits flowing back and forth with one another. And again, he has denied all of that with, with Cabana, but you're looking at this and it's like all of this stuff is just resurfacing again. And to me, I'm not, I'm not stunned by any of this. I'm not aghast at any of it. When you wanted to try and acquiesce and keep all of these parties in-house, there was a reason for it. And I'm not even stating like this is this is what you're getting. Like you are keeping these contentious personalities all under one roof. And this show on Saturday is built around this individual. And this is somebody who is going to exercise that power. And this is an industry where there's few that ever have power that they can truly utilize like there are going to be those that are going to applaud somebody for uh having this kind of sway with it within a company and using it to in his mind the, the benefit of this show to this company but there were uh, i there are definitely those in this locker room that are going to look at this as this is just the latest round of chaos that everybody is going to be focusing on. And again, we're spending 25 minutes talking about uh, nothing related to these pay-per-views coming up or any on-screen program. It's again, the behind the scenes. Well, it's fiercely interesting and somewhat entertaining as well. You know, we spent a whole half hour talking about Bash of the Beach. I mean, they made a whole one hour documentary on Bash of the Beach, um, didn't they? I mean, and people still talk about something like that 20 years later. That, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's good for business. And I don't know if this is, John, because I don't oh, think this is good for I don't think this adds any interest to the on-screen product. I don't think. Listen, is there a day you might see uh, a match a year from now? This stuff is not going to enhance any of this. If anything, this is. I, I think it makes the company look like shit. Dude, like, I mean, it, it makes Tony Khan look terrible. The fact that all these stories are out and they're and, and he no commented when he was asked today. He was on the, the Battleground podcast. Yeah. Listen, there is a desperate need for on the record responsibility and ownership of these mm -hmm. stories. Yeah. So, I mean, the man has had a year to fix this speaking of tony he's had a year to fix these issues and granted this is you know a probably a very complicated person set of people and a set of egos that you have to deal with that, that probably won't be easy but has anything improved in these last in the last 12 months you can argue they're worse because you've given the guy who many people perceive as the instigator that much more power to do whatever he wants with this show that is, is entirely held onto him and his star power um so god like would, would you risk that relationship if it came down to putting your foot down and he would threaten to walk I'm so, not so when are when are we, uh, the nego negotiations for a collision for those i guys. mean it, it's it's going to be like concurrent with like dynamite so which is expected to be do like we have end, an end of 2024 okay because I would suggest using him for all his name value is worth just to get that contract and then just if the guy's still not in line man 
cut it's, bait at this point. Yeah, but, and, and I don't mean to belittle or make this seem like this is some easy fix. Like I if I was in that position and there was um the the threat of losing this guy on my Saturday night show, um yeah, like stars are going to have more leeway. Anyone pretending that isn't a reality is kidding themselves. Um yeah, but to what extent, you know? Like I don't see ha- this ever happening in the WWE right now. Ever. Okay, like because the company and this is good and this is bad, but the company is bigger than any single person. If Roman Reigns had a fit and wanted somebody out of the, his locker room, okay, maybe they'd acquiesce to that. But to to have like a guy come out, go on a live microphone, berate half the locker room, and then just continue to like go on like even in a dark match or sorry post show promo call somebody out, that stuff doesn't go unpunished, and that stuff is certainly not rewarded with more power like this is crazy that we're even talking about this i mean you you can argue the guy that has pushed his weight the most has been like a brock lesnar and it's been a very effective tool for him um in terms of like not to this degree uh somebody uh, somebody that has just been you know that has uh, who's he gotten fired he hasn't gotten anyone Uh, cm punk has not gotten anyone fired Okay, but who has Brock Lesnar? I guess got uh, there's not there's the not building. an equivalent to what what we're seeing here. And again, a lot of this is going to be like uh, d- disputed, I think, to to say the least, on on the the punk side, um, and mm-hmm. have this. But it's it's clear, like I, I think, like all sides are being represented in a lot of this reporting. Um, I, I don't think this is mm-hmm. like this is clearly not just um, you know a, a pocket. I guess even just going by what we can see on the surface, there's only one person speaking directly to the public and, you know, directly like calling out Paige, calling out Cole, calling out the elite by name on the microphone. And that's punk. I mean, I guess you could make the argument like, okay, is it better to say something live in front of the public or to say it to reporters behind people's back? Um, I, I think it's, (laughs) I can only speak. How about you go on the record tomorrow and, and just put out your whole story. Well, this I, is what what's happened. This is not what's happened. This is this is accurate. This is not inaccurate. This is my reasoning for this. You mean punk? You want punk to just do an interview and talk about all this? He doesn't have to do an interview. He can go on Instagram Live tomorrow. Right? What? Why? Why not? Well, he he has done that in the past, hasn't he? On his uh, IG stories, mm-hmm. addressed you know reports that are true or false. Maybe he's gotten shit for that too, because that tends to only make things worse. Unfortunately, what, what does that mean? Get shit. <laughs> i don't know get a talking to get a suspension um, get a fine no he won't be suspended. what kind of discipline is he me? facing for public comments he'll get about... another two-hour tv show like we know there's limitations of like they have agreed like sides that cannot talk about one another but page is not part of this clearly he could openly talk to five thousand people on uh saturday night about hangman page yeah um, anyway um yeah, I think it all reflects really poorly on AEW, you know, at a time where um, I think the wrestling has still been really good. And even when Punk was not a part of this company, like, I would say things were pretty good. Um, like, people like Mox, I feel, are the guys that we should be spending a lot more time talking about instead, you know. Even he his... had his comments about this on on Renee's podcast. Do you remember where he was talking about all this juvenile mm-hmm. drama it's stuff? It's juvenile. It is. Um, and what does it say about but, us but he didn't we... get a talking to did he mox yeah well he's Listen. right it is completely juvenile okay well i'm just i'm just stating like again there are those that you know have made comments and 
they were approached in a locker room and oh you mean like in the way that nemeth got yeah got a comment well i guess nemeth's comment was I mean, what's more the direct. difference well the difference is punk is has a much higher status and ne- ryan nemeth to cm punk is a much easier target to you know give a talking to than a mox so uh any any other thoughts on this like i, I don't want to spend any more time on on this than we have to but we have uh already uh spent a lot of it on this i mean it's just I mean, like uh, like this is going to happen again there are going to continue to be issues there like this is the reality of trying to like and i understand both sides like would would sitting cm punk at home have been a so, great so, business decision no um, so the other thing about all this that, that i find curious is um we continue to, to to hear that cm punk wants to sit down with the elite but he's not been able to well what do you make of that i think that that's not been that's allowed a, to i should say this like what's that's the decision they don't want to sit down with them Mm-hmm. like you right. you could argue like if if like i can't get into tony khan's head like what is his objective is his objective to get these guys to work together or is his objective for these guys to coexist on separate shows his objective is on separate to shows make... why why if that's all i want i don't his ob- want his objective is to make as much money as he can okay and i would say that at, at this point if if this is punk's way of trying to work towards that i would say he's failing miserably at the chance of uh rebuilding that to hmm. to the idea like i i don't get the sense like this is going to uh suddenly his phone is going to ring and here's hangman with 5 weeks of tv in mind yeah it's just really strange that um they would get as far as to like book certain talents to come and then just maybe at the last minute you know get them like shoved away um that's a lot of wasted you know air miles and a lot of wasted time oh, for a lot like of at the very least like okay let's call let's make it clear like who is going to be on this show and who's not going to be on this show and we're not going to book people for these shows and we're not going to travel we're not going to send them to travel uh like yeah. ryan nemeth from california to greensboro and then send them on a plane back home afterwards. it just seems like, to indicate a lot of disorganization you know a lot of maybe lack of structure lack of official sort of rank as far as like who's actually in control versus who isn't um and again makes the company look bad all right uh let's move on uh quickly uh notes uh smackdown very quickly uh they were down on friday because there were a ton of uh, nfl preemptions um that caused smackdown to be preempted in various markets so they did 2 million nine hundred and seven uh, two million ninety seven thousand viewers and a 0.55 in the demo down seven and eleven percent respectively so they got hit uh, a lot by the nfl interestingly enough biggest number in canada since the friday after wrestlemania so no no nfl hitting them there. They were second for the night in sports in Canada. Um, but the U S number, they were down big in 18 to 34. That's where they were uh, hit pretty sizably. Rampage did 398,000 viewers and a 0.15 in the demo. So viewership was down this week, but the demo was up for the second week in a row and their highest 18 to 49 number since April. Um, so it was a, uh, a higher 35 to 49 number. They were up 27%. 18 to 34 was down. And this was the show that included uh, Orange Cassidy defending the international title. You had a, a crazy match with Brian Cage and Darby Allen opening up the show. And then you also had the main event with Soraya beating Sky Blue to advance to All In in the, uh, the four-way women's match. So, um, you know, 199,000 viewers for, for Rampage is, uh, to me, like that is your best case scenario the, these days for rampage if, if you're hitting 200 i think that's um 
that that that's a very good number for for rampage as the third show um that that they're doing so those were your ratings notes and tuesday night on nxt we have dijack against wesley the winner will face carmelo hayes at heatwave the next week d'angelo uh tony d'angelo and stacks take on the dyad for the tag titles and trick williams against drew gulak dana brooke against blair davenport and uh, one other item that i wanted to get to because uh, brendan thurston had this up is that the wwe they have uh responded to the first amended complaint um from the MLW lawsuit. And in this, it's a, it's a 25 page uh, response that WWE provided addressing all of the things that MLW has alleged. And one of the interesting um, portions of this answer is, so when we go back to August of 2021, MLW was on literally the night before they were about to announce their deal with Tubi. That was, an, uh, they they reached an agreement around July 22nd, and the deal was going to be announced publicly on August 10th. And on August 9th, all of a sudden, Tubi pulls out at literally like the final hour with MLW out of nowhere. And MLW in this suit, they had alleged that Stephanie McMahon had contacted Tubi and had threatened uh, Tubi that is affiliated with Fox and to... MLW, they alleged that they were threatening like SmackDown on Fox, which sounds ludicrous that they would uh, go to such a length. But in this answer, WWE admits that on or about August 9th, 2021, Stephanie McMahon spoke with a 2B executive. WWE denies the allegations. Um, these are uh, outlined. The allegations in the fifth. Uh, okay, so. As such, WWE lacks knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the truth of the allegations. So in a nutshell here, they are not disputing that Stephanie McMahon contacted a 2B executive the night before this deal was to be announced, and then the deal was killed that same night. So um, that's Hmm. not a great – like that certainly paints it as like, yeah, we had a conversation with Stephanie McMahon, and and then separate from that, we decided to just pull the plug on this deal. So – um hmm. yeah it, interesting here but th- they are denying that there was i guess uh threats involved but they're acknowledging the phone call because i would imagine that mlw probably has evidence of this call so it would make no, no sense to i mean if you have say this to be executive that's going to that they can depose or um you know you have under oath that's going to state i got this phone call by stephanie mcmahon now it comes down to what was the content of that phone call and in fact was was a direct threat made to kill this deal uh for for tubi anyway so where are we at with all this like i mean they're they're hoping to like go into discovery um i believe like this week so that's that's where that suit is moving and we'll probably touch a bit about uh this later this week because we're, we're having um a gentleman by the name of Eric McGraken on this Wednesday on Pollock and Thurston. He is with a combat sports law, and we're going to be going into the UFC antitrust suit and a lot that you can extrapolate over to the MLW lawsuit with uh, WWE fr- from that. And, you know, the UFC antitrust suit, it got ruled last week can proceed as a class action suit. So I am sure that it's uh, both suits are going to be focused upon if you're Endeavor and how one can play out if if it has an impact on, on the other as well. So I could certainly see a uh, crossover between the two in terms of how these are being handled. And you have, you know, the, the one owner now of these companies that could be facing very similar antitrust suits. 
So there you have it. All of your news, postwrestling.com. And uh, coming up this week, uh, we, we still have a busy one coming at you on Wednesday. Uh, we will have Rewind to Dynamite. Wei Ting will be joined by Kate from Montreal on Wednesday night. And then Wei and I will be in a car on Thursday. And you will get 90 minutes of us for the latest edition of Talk. And that is up for Post Wrestling Cafe members. And that will be followed by Rewind to SmackDown Friday and Collision Course Saturday. So three cafe shows. And then uh, Pollock and Thurston drops Wednesday, UFC 292, and the big one, Sunday night, the NWA podcast. Oh, man. Yeah, a whole lot. I mean, I thought the G1 would be over and we'd be uh, a little bit calm, but I, I think we're almost as busy. And what's happening uh, for those that download Rewind to Raw? What are they getting with this show? Ooh, yes. Well, first of all, if you are at youtube.com slash postwrestling right now, you'll find John Pollock's interview with Zoe Stark. And those of you who have downloaded the show, you can listen to it right at the end of this particular podcast, which I'm sure is clocking in at almost five hours. About that. So uh, download Rewind to Raw or check out uh, youtube.com slash postwrestling. Uh, Zoe Stark, banned from ringside, not banned from postwrestling today. <laughs> no. This is one Canadian outlet she uh, she did not have to be uh, restricted from. But that is where we're heading. Winnipeg, the Canada Life Center, which uh, AEW ran back in March. We're starting off the show with the Judgment Day, again, minus Finn Balor, who is not out. And Priest is not happy about this. He's he's given the, the big speech about Judgment Day, ruling everything, but complains about Balor. He should be out here. And Rhea does not want, they don't want to air their dirty laundry. And then Priest just started bringing up how Finn Balor doesn't move merchandise and it just got really ugly <laughs> here. He's a, he's a peg warmer. Uh, JD McDonough is out and praises judgment day and that Balor passed along a message to focus on Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn tonight. And they shut down JD. They don't take orders from him. And Dom gets on the mic and Winnipeg just boos the hell out of him. And Dominic with the best line. I just found out Canada is part of North America. So I guess I'm champion of this dump too. <laughs> Great line. Yeah. And it ends with uh, Rhea telling JD to tell Balor we need to talk. And with that, Sami Zayn and uh, a, a much better looking elbow uh, ran down uh, to attack JD. And this turned into our impromptu match, Sami Zayn and JD McDonough. So that was that was Sami Zayn's week off. He's, he's back, um, but dealing with bursitis. I guess, I mean, it's the type of injury that probably looks a lot worse than it actually is. You know, seemed to have it drained and wrapped up. He seems like he's good to go. Kick it. You know, throw it against the post. Do whatever you want with it. Sammy drained. Yes. So JD and uh, Sammy, they went uh, nine and a half minutes here. Um, and they, man, they made all they could out of this replay from last week. They showed the attack. Cole's pointing out, look at his elbow. Then they zoom in on, like, on the elbow. They made sure mm-hmm. everyone could see this golf ball that was uh, coming out of his elbow last week. So JD removes the elbow pad. And this did tie in well to the JD NXT character, the guy that, you know, just systematically just, you know, breaks down people. The surgeon. So yeah. The surgeon. So there's a one man Spanish fly by JD into a cross face and then Zane's back exploder. And Finn Balor comes out. This distracts Zane. He kicks out of an O'Connor roll and then knocks Balor off the apron, proceeds to hit the Haluva kick and Sammy Zane prevails in nine forty two. Yeah. Um, I, no, it's Canada, but man, I would have had McDonough get a win tonight. 
And for that reason, I probably wouldn't have necessarily paired him against Zane. I think for a, a new guy being inserted into an A storyline, I think you needed to establish him a little bit as somebody not to just be dismissed with a win. Um, and especially with Sami Zayn being so injured and having Finn Balor and D- McDonough still losing despite all that. I don't think this is the best way to treat McDonough with what is essentially his real debut on Raw. That said, though, I think the closing angle at the end of the night did redeem him in a way. But I don't think this is a great start. Yeah, I think overall, like, that's the story that they're telling is that this is the guy that is, you know, he was presented as, like, the difference maker in in the main event. Uh, you could certainly argue, like, you're you're getting him off into, like, this big story now with Judgment Day. Like, was this... He can't be the guy with one arm, but he can he hit people from behind. Right. So maybe maybe they were going to brawl into the lobby and um, they decided, you know what, we, we can't do that more than once tonight. I do for uh, sure. No. Yeah. Pierce is with Chelsea Green. What a segment this was. So we established Sonya Deville's out and Chelsea does not want to give up the tag titles. So she... Ask, she's going to go to HR and Pierce says, what do you, what is your idea to do with these belts? So Chelsea outlines what she's been doing on social media. She's going to hold auditions for a partner and like, she's been, probably just started this all out on her own. So she mm. pitches this whole idea and you're thinking, oh, wow, they're going to take this idea and run with it on TV. And Caden Carter and Katana Chance come in and they state when Chelsea has a partner, we want a challenge. Um, by virtue of the fact there are no other teams to challenge you guys. We literally don't even have a pair of champions to hold these belts. And with that, Piper Niven comes in, attacks Chance and Carter, steals the belt, and just informs Chelsea, I am now one of the tag champions. Yeah. You know, in 1988, this was like how WrestleMania for the tournament was started when it was revealed. You can't just give a title to someone. Um, mm. But here, this looks exactly what they're doing, and they will not be doing Chelsea's audition idea. Piper Niven is your champion winning by Adam Pierce's office. <laughs> Has there been precedence for this? Like, have, have like, you know, take team part, like, you know, partners who have been injured just like adopted a new teammate? I'm sure it has, right? But hard for me to think about it right now. Like last this happened. Well, well did... they've done a few this year where the they, they live in Raquel with, with Trish and Lita, right? Where Trish You're subbed right. in for for Becky one week. Like they, they've had like where they've subbed in, but this is like we have a wholesale new champion in Deville. Well, you could sub in and lose the title, so why can't you sub in and just assume the championships, right? So I, I guess, guess they have they have there is precedence for this. Um yeah, I mean it's it's whatever. Like it's pro wrestling logic and the WWE that I just don't really think about all that seriously. I do think. I mean, I just don't. I'm sorry. There's, there's no logic here. <laughs> I'm telling you, the person who needs the lemon gimmick is Chelsea Green. Okay, the person oh, making lemonade. You're right. Way more than Becky Lynch. I'll say I I love the pairing of Bi- Piper Niven with Chelsea Green. I think at this point, um, Piper essentially becomes like Chelsea's muscle. It adds credibility from an in ring standpoint to Chelsea. So she's not just a Karen now, but a Karen with like a like a politically powerful friend that can actually ruin your life. You know, like maybe a Karen who's also like uh, friends with a cop. The worst, the worst type of Karen. So I think it'll help accentuate the monster qualities of Niven, and it'll probably help accentuate some of the character qualities of Chelsea as well. Okay, we'll see. We'll see where this one goes. Uh, Byron is with Cody Rhodes. He says, Judgment Day is very dangerous. I haven't wrestled in Winnipeg in years. I think they were just, let, let's make sure that he, the American Nightmare is cheered in, in Winnipeg, and, and he was. 
Imperium come out and Gable, they establish as the next challenger for the IC title, but it's not happening tonight. And Gunther says, as a European, I've always looked forward to coming to Canada, but I realize this is the armpit of Canada. Gunther, you, you need to visit some more places in Canada. <laughs> Winnipeg is not it, okay? It's not the armpit. Um, and what, he's what, achieved more like, in a year than Gable has in his entire career. I'm trying to think of, like, a map of Canada and, like, where, where an armpit. I mean, Canada, if you look at the map, it does kind of look like it's, like, a like an arm flexing. And um, <laughs> sorry to say. Like, what, what would the, the, where would the armpit technically be? You know what? Uh, it, unfortunately, it would probably be um, somewhere in B.C. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, look at this. You know, if we're talking strictly like anatomy, right? Like, this looks like an arm. This is like the Quebec would be the fist. Newfoundland and Labrador would be the fist. And then uh, it means, I'm sorry, Vancouver, you're you're more the armpit. That's pity city. Yeah. Beautiful. The most beautiful city, of course, in Canada might might have to be the armpit geographically. Gable comes out. And he says Gunther is on the clock as he's just weeks away from setting the new IC title record. But Gable is the one standing and he's been waiting for 10 years for this chance. And Kaiser comes in and calls Otis a fat freak and that Maxine should surround herself with European elegance. The two of us would be a plus aesthetics and Alpha Academy is a sinking ship, but she is reaching out. He's reaching out to save her. Uh, don't allow this 360-pound anchor to drag you down where you'd become an absolute embarrassment. And she slaps Ludwig Kaiser. And, dude, Kaiser was awesome here. He was great. He was, he's was he been given extended time on the microphone. And I, I'm i sure that's because of just his own talents. I feel like the Graves' like Im- impression probably helped in a way, too, because now he's actually become a figure in the spotlight. He's 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 now known for this very distinctive promo style that he seems to be just amplifying and they're giving him more time on the microphone. He's he continues to be tremendously unique and entertaining. I I think like there's a great story to be had here of Maxine ending up with Kaiser like that's You've already now created this rift where Gunther is just uh, like has no place for that girl that's uh, distracting you. Um, and yeah, like Kaiser, like Maxine leaving Alpha Academy and ending up with Kaiser. I think those two could be a great pairing together. So Gable and Giovanni Vinci, the enforcer of Imperium, uh, Gable lands on his feet from a moonsault, takes a rolling fireman's carry, and then Vinci lands the moonsault, but it's Gable coming back with the chaos theory in 507. And Gunther is furious. He says, that's not how it ends tonight. Otis is the armpit of humanity and challenges him. So it's the armpit in the armpit taking on uh, Gunther here in a non-title match. What's Gunther then? Gunther is um, the bicep. Okay. Yeah, right. So Otis gets in some offense. Cole reminds us that Doink too was a clown, but he was dangerous. Uh, so probably, uh, probably catching up on his, his dark side. Now that he's traveling so much, multiple times per week. They trade lariats on their feet. Neither goes down. Otis rips off the shirt. Caterpillar gets cut off and then power bombs Otis in five minutes and 10 seconds. So Gunther wins, but Gable gets in German suplex to Gunther. And we're going to be getting that icy title match in Quebec City next week. The U.S. Olympian versus the Austrian for the intercontinental title in Quebec. (laughs) Well, it's intercontinental, right? It makes sense. Yeah. Um, I thought they, they're doing, doing a pretty good job of building to this match. They're making both guys look strong. And Gunther always looks strong. But I think Gable, even though nobody thinks he 
probably has a chance of winning, especially this close to the honky tonk um, uh, uh, record. Um, Nonetheless, I think it's the most serious program that Gable has had in years. And I think he'll benefit greatly just from being a part of it. Hopefully you get a red hot crowd in Quebec city next week and they could tear the house down if they, if they get the time next week, which Mm -hmm. they should. I hope they do. And how, where does the Maxine thing go from here? Because you, you'd think that, you know, Maxine and Kaiser would stay attached. So beyond this match gunther against gable would they do anything else with those two uh japanese ocean cyclone suplex delivered by maxine to um to to kaiser kaiser to, wow amazing yeah. Balor and priest are arguing in the back so Rhea gets in the middle they're losing their killer instinct they need to reestablish this and jd enters apologizes for the loss earlier as priest says this is judgment day business but Balor says they can show the world how strong they are tonight. When Balor takes on Cody Rhodes tonight, we're going to handle business. They recap the hail to the chief segment on SmackDown and noting how Jay quit the WWE. And to make it official, Wade Barrett reminds us that Jay has been moved to the alumni section of WWE.com. So it's over. It's done. The career's over. That's like <laughs> informing USADA that you're out of the pool, the Tuscan pool. I appreciate at least the effort to do something relatively small online. To sell it. Earlier today, Jackie Redman caught up with Drew McIntyre and he's asked what's next. But before he can answer, Riddle interrupts and he's just talking a mile a minute that there was an open challenge from the Viking Raiders. He accepted and he wants Drew to be his partner and suggests that they could be called Edinburgh or Glasbrow. And Drew cannot get a word in and then shuts him up and finally says, if you can't find a partner, I'll consider it. And Drew walks off. There was a video for Indy Hartwell, and so it seems like she's healed, she's ready to go, and they're trying to give her like an earnest start on Raw, where she says she struggled to find who she was. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will, and this was all featuring like different highlights uh, at NXT, winning the title, coming from Melbourne, and facing Rhea Ripley uh, tonight. So it was like this great video. It's like, oh, and they're going to murder her in about an hour. So um, mm-hmm. nonetheless, um, they at least had a video here for indy hartwell so you had something for her rather than just being candace's plus one i mean she really is that um but still it's nice to at least be reminded of who this person actually is do you think they're going to reintroduce johnny gargano uh since everyone's probably forgotten about him uh i'm sure they're saving him for something good i hope you know uh what other reason would they have because i believe he's ready um to the best of my knowledge, he is. I mean, mm-hmm. unless he's like showing up at the building and being told, actually, we, we don't need you tonight. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's no good story or they're just waiting for something. I mean, you have a lot of pieces. It's left. Been a long time, dude, to come up with a story for this guy. I mean, it's true. But listen, look at all the options that are out there for him. You know, you have a Champa, you have an Austin Theory now who's not really doing anything or at least not, you know, doesn't have the U.S. title that they compare him with again. The Viking Raiders took on Riddle and Drew McIntyre. And the Glasbros, it looks like, is going to be the name. Yeah. Um, dude, the way Drew was playing this up, like, I was just, I, I thought for sure he was turning on Riddle in this match. <laughs> like, it, it was so over the top uh, for the Drew. Come, I'm sure. Uh, like, they're they're obviously playing this out, but it's like all the, they're they're giving you all the hints in the world here. Oh, Riddle was being extra obnoxious. Yeah, he was being absolutely. obnoxious. He wouldn't tag him, and uh, and there was more to come. They they laid it even thicker with the New Day segment. But mm-hmm. they also note that uh, Drew has not responded to Wade Barrett's texts or calls since SummerSlam. The dreaded Uh-oh. lack of communication angle. 
Never good. setting up a comeback. Never good. Cole thinks they could be called the Scottish Highlanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could be cool. So Riddle's double teamed. He fights back. And, dude, they go through the commercial break. It's been all Riddle. Drew is just hanging out on the on the corner. Finally, he gets the tag. He runs wild on the Vikings. Eric lands a knee. Riddle tags back in. And he hits a floating bro to Ivar on the floor. At one point, Ivar and Eric go for the, the move where uh, Eric lifts up uh, Riddle. And Ivar does the springboard. And dude nearly killed himself slipping, but managed uh, to, to hit the move. Uh, Eric then re-enters the ring after Ivar's taken out on the floor, runs right into the Claymore, and Drew pins him in nine minutes and 33 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like just a match to really establish the Glass Bros. Uh, I hate that we have to say it, but yes. The it Edinburgh's seemed... are much better, I feel. I feel but but I think Barrett said that Drew's not actually from Edinburgh, so can't really Well, he's it. he's not actually from Glasgow either, is he? I'm not sure. Yeah, is he? I don't, think, I don't think he's from either one of those cities. Don't they build him from Glasgow? They they build plenty of people. Look, look, look it up. I'm pretty sure his actual like what's his, sort of like what's his build hometown? Okay, well, um, I can't even pronounce. Ayr, <laughs> Air. okay, Air Air Scotland. Air. That's yeah, where he's from <laughs> the Air Bros. <laughs> I'm sure they'll come up with something. Listen, um, we never got the Randy turn on Matt Riddle, even though, like, I think for months and months and months, we were all, like, they were doing Oh, so they're going to do this for 18 months? <laughs> Hopefully not, but I think they can finish that particular story, but with Drew subbing in for Randy Orton, where, you know, they build up this wonderful run, maybe give them the tag team titles, have a lot of great chemistry and ring together, and then out of nowhere, hit this annoyance finally finally catches up to drew and he just claymores the shit out of riddle out of nowhere so let's see how they do it yeah i think for drew though at this point like you need you need top level heels and i just i would hate to see this guy like quite honestly riddle's at a level and i think he's staying at this level and to not be, if he beats like riddle is most lovable when he's sort of like you know friendly like sidekick to the serious guy like the randy parent worked wonderfully if randy you know like i think they were a lot higher on riddle during the randy program like they have very much like riddle is just i think he's just become a guy but in a a tag team setting especially with drew i think you can make him look strong you can make the team look strong as long as the team is over the turn will resonate with people and that i think would be a great way to turn drew heel raquel i i love this in wrestling so like you are you are not cleared. You can't wrestle, but you make your way all the way to the building. And Raquel informs Candace and Indy she's still not cleared and tells Indy to go show what she's made of tonight. Would you have preferred this if this was like a Zoom call with Raquel? I wish uh, Raquel could uh, come out every week and go, Indy, Indy. This is our Roderick Strong, Raquel. Oh, right. Yeah. Riddle and Drew are in the back, and uh, Riddle thinks that they're going to win the tag titles, and New Day overhear this. It's Kofi's birthday, and he's uh, celebrating it here in a backstage segment, and they bring up the fact it was Drew that landed on him that broke his ankle, and Xavier Woods starts stating how the tag division has lost its mind, including the Street Profits thinking they're Shelton and Cedric now, 
and they challenge Drew and Riddle to a match next week, and Riddle accepts on their behalf, and Drew just shakes his head and walks away. He doesn't even get to respond. Uh, so that match is happening in Quebec City, and in theory, the winners will get a tag title shot against our champions that uh, one is incapacitated and the other is uh, um, got a um, small child growing out of his elbow. <laughs> but he's wrestling, though. He's wrestling. And yeah. for some reason, they had chairs here. Maybe they just wanted um, seats. Maybe it was like standing room only in the back, and they don't want to give up their chairs. Could be. Could be that, yeah. Uh, what do you think of Woods' new hair? Um, It looks nice. Yeah, it looks beautiful, actually. I'm um I'm ready for either of these teams to turn heel. I'm waiting for like what if they the, all turn on each other? Yeah, I'm waiting for four, three of the four men. All four of them should just turn heel. And uh, I don't know what do four bad guys make. I don't know, but um, I I, I mean I I see the um I could see Drew and, and Riddle winning and really like making a real run for for these tag titles. But where does that leave the New Day? You know, uh, conversely, I could see the New Day winning. And just, you know, because they need uh, 17 more championships. And then could this be the, the time that you might turn Drew on Riddle like this quickly? I don't think it would resonate as well as, you know, if you firmly. It wouldn't. Team. But I, I honestly like I, I don't need a three month Riddle Drew program. I feel like the money here is just getting Drew into a heel role and Riddle can be the transition to that heel role. And if we're just going to speed this up, they should win this match. They lose to Owens and Zane, And then we we get the breakup and you can do that over four weeks you don't have to do that in record time either you could you could stretch this out to payback and and have although that would break the streak and, and force them to put owens and zane on a pay-per-view right so there is that yeah apparently uh there's uh darius is saying the chairs are a pop culture reference uh i'm sure then you have it. to explain the pop culture reference oh you know what it is it's the uh <laughs> the sterlington police who I believe um, were made into a did some sort of video viral video where they're talking about chair defense. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a meme. Okay. Rhea Ripley beat Indy Hartwell in three minutes. Um, they explained these two met 11 years ago in Australia and um, we didn't get any more beyond that. Indy got driven into the post twice. Rhea gave a crotch chop to Candice, attacked Candice, and Indy, her big spot was an inside cradle, and uh, Rhea kicked out of that and hit the riptide and won. Again, like she's kind of Candice's plus one, who is uh, Raquel's plus one. So both the of number these two are... contenders to the women's tag titles. Um, <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But, you know, both of these two are really just sort of like uh, build-ups for Raquel. Then Candace attacked Rhea, and Indy got in a flapjack, and they double-teamed Rhea and exited. So it looks like she'll have to kill Candace too. Nakamura's out for his interview with Michael Cole in the ring. This was an interesting way that they came up with this. So for Heat, Nakamura is going to speak in a foreign language, and this is going to anger the audience. So Cole asks him why he attacked Rollins, and he answers in Japanese. So this brings out the what chance, and then Rollins interrupts him. So... Speak Japanese. It'll make people mad. I mean, I felt like it, it could have been that. Um, I think it was maybe also a way to um, show a bit of maybe his personality by letting him speak more than just a few words. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure. It's a, It was an interesting tactic. I could say it probably didn't necessarily work because it just prompted what chance. And maybe they want. They I, I'm sure the chance. idea was like, 
they just they don't know what he's saying and they wanted the crowd to boo his answer. He translated it, but I'm I'm assuming the, the translations he, were wrong. He summarized, but it was like after like uh like 45 seconds of speaking in Japanese. Like that seems to be like that's where they want to upset the crowd while also getting across a message uh, as well to this. I'd love to it, know if, if he's actually saying those things in Japanese or if he's just saying something completely different and then there he's just letting the internet translate it. Well, Rollins comes out to uh, to cut this off and basically says all Nakamura had to do was ask for a title shot and he would have given it to him. He used to respect Nakamura, but doesn't anymore and decides that in order for me to get revenge on you, I have to give you what you want, which is a title match. So name the time and the place. They shake on it and Nakamura whispers something into his ear. And this is the big cliffhanger of this segment. What did he whisper into the ear of Rollins? And with that, Rollins is stunned and he gets hit by a Kinshasa from behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, I think it's an interesting attempt at like mm, trying to give Nakamura sort of like a, a substantive like program, you know, um, they're letting him do let his sort of like charisma do most of the talking here. And they're giving him like good, like physical sort of like, um, I don't know um shine to to end these segments similar to what they did with with ricochet and logan paul so yeah it's fine saxton is with the miz he says he verbally tore down la night last week he's better on the mic than him and next week i'm going to beat someone that is bigger and tougher than la night has ever beaten and i might show up on smackdown friday or not i guess this is because that's the only way he could interact with la night yes you have to go to the other man's <laughs> show. LA Knight can't come to Raw, but you can as a Raw talent go to SmackDown. That's how it works. Oh, well, LA Knight can come to Raw as well. Yeah. But he couldn't tonight. He didn't want to. I don't he already, he already beat the Miz, right? He wasn't going to the armpit. Not in Winnipeg, yeah. No. Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch. So this is the the rematch that they have uh billed for weeks. This was never announced for SummerSlam. We didn't change anything. This is how we do things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Zoe Stark is banned from ringside, and Becky now comes out. She's got a lemon T-shirt. Yes, she's selling this. Yeah. Stratus started with uh, with her nose guard on, and at one point, uh, Becky kicked it off, and then Trish put it back on, and, dude, she was having a lot of trouble with this nose guard. Like, I don't think she's had to wrestle too often or at least at length with this thing because this thing was like she was constantly adjusting this and like it was messing up her rhythm early on um the worst of it where she had like a rare miss on the the stratosphere into the corner where she had to go for it on a on a second attempt and then she takes the mask off on the floor revealing her nose is healed and she tries to use it as a weapon but um, Becky goes to stop it, but Becky still gets thrown into the turnbuckle. We come back. Trish hits a spear for a two count. Becky with a superplex. And then they fight to the floor over the barricade. And it's not playoff rules here. This was not red shoes. But they were counted out in record time. 1129. The crowd boos and they fight up into the concession area where Trish started throwing t-shirts at her as a weapon. And Becky is going to go for a manhandle slam onto the merch stand when Zoe appears in a hoodie and attacks Becky um, and they double team her and she's laid out with a chick kick, which sets up Adam Pierce, who is furious by them once again, 
getting out of the match. And he says, the next time you guys face off, it will be a steel cage match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought this even beyond like maybe the mask issues, I thought it was a pretty ugly match, you know? Um, Yeah. Like I think Trish doing this at her age is absolutely amazing, but I ha if she's going to like enter this field, I have to kind of like judge this by modern, um, I guess standards. And I thought this was like a pretty bad match and she looked sloppy in here. Um, beyond that, I felt the crowd was pretty quiet for most of this. Um, I just didn't think this was good. Yeah. For a big match that had been promoted. And I'm sure many people thought this was going to be the big blow off. Um, unless you felt like the fact that they were going on so early, they'd maybe have an unsatisfying ending, but regardless, you're right. Like it didn't have a lot of heat. Um, I, I don't know if you defer like like she was legit having a ton of problems with with this mask. But yeah, the, the especially the first half of this match, like a lot of stuff was off, like a lot. Um, it just it just was not a smooth like WWE level like television match um, for for the stuff that was getting it, it, it just felt very awkward for a lot. And then you had a bad finish on top of it and they're squeezing out another match. So I don't know if they end up doing this on television, if it's payback, but obviously they feel, um, yeah, they can get another couple of weeks out of this. And they did not state when this would be. It's all about the lemon and how you squeeze it, says Denji 2006. So certainly squeezing every last drop out of this one. Imperium's backstage and Gunther calls tonight an embarrassment and asks what he should do with Vinci, who has failed again and says, you've been a disappointment ever since coming to Raw. And Kaiser, you neglected your duties by being focused on that girl. Kaiser promises it will never happen again. He's willing to go to Adam Pierce and Gunther cuts him off. I will go to Adam Pierce and I will do what I always do. Sort this out myself and I will defend this title against Chad Gable next week. I I'm really enjoying like the three of these, like Vinci is just kind of like the, uh, the, the punching bag in all of it. But um, I wish they would let him speak more. He never gets to talk. Um, yeah. Kaiser has been excellent since they let him talk more. And I'd say Gunther, they clearly have a ton more confidence. This guy's getting mm -hmm. talking segments every single week now. And like, he's never been a bad talker, but you can see he clearly has that presence of the, the overbearing leader of the group. And yeah, they've, um, They've done like a pretty good job of building up a lot of these groups. I guess now you're sort of just getting it's sort of building up like these dividing lines within all of these groups that there is a lot of crossover when you're doing it with the bloodline as your big angle with the judgment day and to a lesser degree, an, an Imperium. I guess so. But but I mean, that like the stories in professional wrestling are all based on intention, right? Yeah, it's like you can't have friends in this business. Eventually, mm. you, you'll hate each other. Next week, it's Drew and Riddle against a New Day and Gunther against Chad Gable in Quebec City. Main event, Cody Rhodes against Finn Balor. Cody is in control early on. Then Dom oh, they, they also announced Tristan Zoe in a cage. They announced that for next week? Uh, I don't know if it's... Did they say next week? They just said the next match will be a steel cage match, but I didn't... They didn't announce it for Oh, sorry, week. sorry. You did go over that. Yeah. Yeah. Cody and Finn Balor. Um, so Dom and Rhea show up and Dom starts attacking them. They go through the commercial. Then Damian Priest shows up and it's Balor avoiding the Cody cutter and nails him with a shotgun dropkick, misses with the coup de grace and encounters a crossroads. And then Cody comes back, hits the, the Cody cutter and Balor rolls out to the floor. Priest trips up Cody. And then there's a sidestep of Balor and Cody 
uh, dives onto both Priest and Balor. And with Rhea distracting the referee, Dominic crotches Cody on the buckle, and then Dom slides a chair into the ring. The referee stops it, takes the chair, like he was Kofi and uh, Xavier uh, holding the uh, the chair. And as he goes to deal with Rhea, Balor is in the ring, and Priest goes to slide the briefcase in, but he slides it past Balor, and it goes into the hands of Cody. Balor looks furious, and Cody nails him with the briefcase, hits the crossroads, and wins the match in 14 minutes. So Dom and Priest, they are on the attack. Sami Zayn runs out with a chair, and it looks like the babyfaces are going to prevail here when J.D. McDonough comes to the rescue and nails Zayn from behind, and the Judgment Day take over. There's a South of Heaven to Cody, a pair of coup de grasses to Cody, one to Zayn off the steps on the floor, and the big one was Zayn going through the table, the desk with the razor's edge, and they go off. The crowd is booing. JD is on the floor. He's not posing with the Judgment Day, but he's the one that's kind of given credit for Judgment Day prevailing, and now they are they are fortifying their strength once again. They're all back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this closing angle a lot. First of all, I thought the match was really good. Um you know crowd reactions might not have been as big as i was expecting but i thought in ring it was a really good match and they found another clever way of maybe continuing to tease these balor priest issues but it was more so the closing segment or closing beatdown that i thought was really effective in uh increasing the sort of seriousness of judgment day as this sort of like um uh i think um actually like pretty violent group um and also it put all of them onto the same page and also gave them a reason to mm, potentially introduce jd mcdonough as part of the group as well so good continued storytelling with judgment day yeah i like the idea it's like we've teased the breakup and now we're going to take a step back and i think like they're going to continue these little fractures every now and then but now you have like the jd involvement that should like this should be almost his initiation into the group. Like he has now he's kind of put Damian priest at ease to allow this guy into the group. And, and that can play like, obviously this guy is scheming at, at some level with Balor. And so you have their guard or against him or against him. Yeah. There's that too. So anyway, that was raw. Um, I didn't think this was the most, uh, enticing episode of raw. Um, I thought that there was uh, I, I can't like the main event I thought was it, it was fine. I didn't think we got any like really real like home run segments on this show. Honestly, it's pretty hard for me to assess an entire like three hour show into like a few sentences because there's so much that happens. And I by this point, I already feel so far removed from it that I <laughs> I can't give any like proper. What was your favorite hour of Raw? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like. <laughs> Nine eight thirty to nine thirty one. <laughs> okay, that that was a good sixty one minutes of the show. Yes. Let's uh let's read a bit of feedback here from Muggin, who writes in: I was a fool for thinking the Becky Trish feud would end here, but once again a non finish reared its ugly head. The cage match better be in Quebec City, or is payback a better option? I don't know. Winnipeg's tepid atmosphere damn sure didn't help. Anyway, there were. Th- There were things to like here. The women's tag titles are equivalent to the Madden cover curse, but Piper Niven returning is a start to get away from that stigma. Judgment Day continue to dominate Raw, and J.D. McDonough worming his way into the picture could lead to more friction. Yeah, they did not announce it for next week. I would not think, I would think if the cage match was going to be next week, they would have stated as much. Um, Right. You could could hold that off. It's one, you could do it on TV. You could also do it on um, Payback. uh, Payback is the next show. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. They could put it on last at payback. And then Hunter can go into the press conference and state everyone was so negative about SummerSlam. You don't know because 75% of the stuff that's out there is, is lies. We know what we're doing here. More likely the cage match um, could get DQ'd somehow. And then they'll find a way to book another match. Just keep this one running. Yeah. This could be, let's get a year out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Keep going. All right. Uh, we are not going to keep going. We are going to sign off. Thanks to everyone. Actually, we are for people that oh, are, have downloaded the show. That's true. Um, I'm already incorrect on that front. So if you're listening live, we are going to bid farewell to you. But if you have downloaded the show, then you have a Zoe Stark interview coming your way as we talk about uh, her devastating knee injury at the end of 2021 and her whole rehab to get back to NXT and then the call up to Raw, the recent work with Trish Stratus. So this was from uh, SummerSlam weekend uh, where we got uh, a couple of minutes with Zoe Stark. So check that one out. And we are back later this week. You've got Up Next on Tuesday night with Braden and Davey. Their final episode before they head over to London, England. And then Wednesday night, Way will be uh, manning the ship here alongside Kate from Montreal for Rewind to Dynamite. So that is it for us. And have a great night. Have a great day. And every other of your favorite hours of the day. Here with Zoe Stark here on Post Wrestling. Uh, Zoe, it has been pretty much a whirlwind year for you. And I want to go back to the end of 2021. You suffered a a devastating knee injury and came back in an incredible amount of time when you considered the the injury. Tell me kind of what was like, was that your lowest point with that injury? How did you like mentally approach how you were going to tackle this rehabilitation process and when things were really clicking for you at NXT? Yeah, uh, that was a really, really hard difficult time for me I broke down so many times I I lost count um but you know when you're that low there's nowhere to go but up so I just told myself I'll be the time frame that they're telling me because at first it's supposed to be a good solid year of rehab you know I I destroyed my knee and I I just knew I couldn't let that happen so I made it back within eight and a half months and being gone for that long you watch everything and you see what's going on what people are doing what they're not doing what I could personally fix so I took all of that that I learned from being out and putting it back in when I came back. And I think that was the big factor for me in being so success- successful now. Because at that point, I'm not going to hold anything back. You know, at first I was probably kind of tiptoeing. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever else. Now it's, it's done. We can't play that game here. Do you think as much as if it was a physical setback, mentally it was that many steps forward that I could kind of take a, a big picture look at where my career is, what I can get out of the performance center, different aspects of the industry, and sort of just how can I use this time to my best benefit? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's definitely more of a mental game. Physically, sure. I knew I was going to be fine. I had a great uh, physical therapist. She was helping me along the entire time. It was more of a mental game of, like, how you just... It's so hard to explain because when you're an athlete and you're being out from the thing that you love, it hurts. It just it, it does physically and mentally hurt. So when it was time to come back, I had to go full throttle. Were you still watching? Were you still all the time? I was there every single day, Monday through Friday. I would do my rehab, then I would go watch training. I would try and help teach you know the newer people. I would go to promo class. I would do everything that I needed to do to make sure that when I came back, I was that much better. So, yeah, I was there every single day. And conversely, on the other side of it, when you make that that comeback, is there any trepidation on your part? And once you realize, man, the knee is in great standing, I mean, that had to have been, like, these eight months were tough, but look where I am now. Fresh breath. uh, You know what I mean. (laughs) 
breathtasty. Yes, but um, it's it's a it's a great feeling. You know, you're down for eight and a half months, and when you finally go out there and you hear the crowd excited to actually see you, because I wasn't sure. I, in my head, I was like, maybe they just don't even remember me. I don't know. I haven't been on TV for a while. So when you hear that nice little pop, it makes you excited, and it makes that time well worth it. Then uh, everyone's got a really interesting story when they finally get the note that, hey, you're coming up to, to Raw for you. What was that? And I imagine this whole story kind of compounded it like, wow, what a val- validation that all of this was worth it. It made me break down and cry. You know, through all of that hardship and everything else, being a torn ACL, having to take so long to get signed with WWE, you know, it made everything worth it. On the indies, I was maybe getting 10 bucks a show, if that. You know, so to finally get to Raw, my lifelong dream, it was the best feeling in the world. Who delivered the message to you? Who got to tell you that this is the plan? For Raw? To go to Raw. Uh, at, on When they did the draft on TV. That's how you're finding that's, out? That's how I found out. There's a video out there where we found, find out after Raw where they were doing a show, and my name popped up, and that's how I found out. I had a little inkling because a cl- coach told me, like, hey, kid, I don't think you're going to be here much longer. So I had that feeling, but you never know. Things change all the time. And what's the environment like going from NXT, now you're on Raw? How, how does that dynamic uh, switch? It's two different games, you know. NXT, you, you get to stay home, you get to train and stay in shape and do what you need to do. On Raw, you're traveling nonstop. So it's fun, but it's hard to figure out when to get your workouts in. It's hard to figure out your diet. So that's the two hardest things I've had so far. But it's still a great time. You're also going into a locker room. It's it's new faces. And is there like that, that competitive nature as well? Like here is somebody new that has this momentum behind them. What is it like going from one locker room to the other? You know, if there is that competitive factor, the girls, you know, I think we're all very competitive. But they have been so welcoming and great to me. They've been helping me out along the way, telling me how to travel, giving me the little tips. They've been great. They've been very welcoming, so I can't say anything more than that. Sometimes we see when, you know, it's, it's a very big leap going from NXT to the main roster and how it's going to, it, like, your movement up has been very well received and getting to work alongside Trish Stratus, I mean, that has to just be tons of knowledge that you are benefiting from. And as much as this feud is Trish and Becky, you are right there in the midst of You're absolutely, this is a three-person program. So this has to be kind of just... Uh, best case scenario for you oh for sure never in my life did i think i would get to one work with trish stratus never thought that would ever happen and then be in a storyline with becky lynch with the two of them i mean it's great like it's a whirlwind you know it's amazing what are you kind of looking at now is sort of like now that i have i i have my spot here on raw what is where i want to be in six months in in 12 months do you Think that far ahead, or is that some sometimes too difficult in an industry like this to be making too bold a prediction of where you want to be in some some finite time? Yeah, that could be a very difficult question. You know, I think all of us have that dream of main eventing WrestleMania at some point. We all have that dream of being a champion. But right now, I'm really just focused on Trish and I, what we need to do, and uh, I'm just following Trish's lead right now. Well, congratulations on everything. It's uh, been great to watch your movement up to Raw, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.